0: Welcome to another exciting episode at Financial Independence Europe. Today we interview young Phi guy who achieved financial independence at 26. Crazy stuff. He saved a lot of money, worked as an accountant and has been financially independent for two years now. So we dig deep into how this happened. How did he get there? His feelings, you know, being retired at such a young age... And most interesting of all, was it worth it? So, very personal, but still interesting questions. So, yeah, enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast.
0: Where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making most of your money.
1: This with your hosts, Alvar, Erminta and Matthias. So welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. So today we actually got a pretty cool guest with us, the young fi-guy, live out of London. Hi, young fi-guy.
2: Hello. Lovely to be on the podcast with you and Araminta.
1: Oh, cool. it's awesome to have another British guest back after all the Germans, the Dutch and the other ones <laughs> we had coming on. And also, obviously, my amazing host, Araminta. Welcome. Hello. What's up? Cool. and it's really good to have everybody together again in the new year of 2019. We're going to kick off with some great interviews. And today we really want to focus essentially on a topic of how is it to retire like so early? What does it do with you emotionally? How do you process that? I'm like, isn't it like weird? I retire at 26 and like what happens with life? So anyway, that's what we want to figure out today and we hope our guest can enlighten us a bit more on top of that. So yeah, Mr. Fly Guy, could you... Give us a little bit of a breakdown on yourself, your past, your background, how you came in touch with FI and go for it.
2: My background is very unusual for the FI movement because I've kind of been on this path for my whole life. I was always a saver as a child and over the years I just got birthday money, job money and just saved it and... Uh, I got a student job, saved my money there. And um, the big thing for me was when I was a teenager, my father suddenly passed away out of nowhere. And he was only in his 50s. And it was obviously a massive shock to me. I was very lucky that he retired or semi retired quite early. So I got to enjoy quite a few really lovely years with him. And that kind of put me on this path of thinking, what do I want out of life? And definitely not working, you know, 70 years and then having nothing to show for it and and passing away without, you know, having the important things in your life, like your family, your friends, spending time investing in yourself and your interests. And so I, I started very young and I inherited some money from my father and... After investing that and started work and saving a lot of my, my money straight from the off, I was able to kind of build together this nest egg that gave me the freedom to change course in my life. And that's where I am today, basically.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. So really, your how you achieved financial independence was by pure... Savings, so you just accumulated, accumulated, and accumulated until you reached a point where you were comfortable enough to retire. Was that following the 25x uh, rule, 4% withdrawal rule?
2: Um, so, yes, yeah, so his, I should clarify. So, I inherited about just over a hundred thousand pounds from my father, um, and I started kind of investing that about just over 10 years ago. And so, obviously, that gave me a very big head start that most people don't have but otherwise it it was from you know saving 60 to 80 percent of my salary and it was about two years ago I was just over two years ago I was just very unhappy in work and I kind of decided I needed a change and so I, I left work and it was never kind of a conscious decision of I'm retiring, but it's kind of happened in that way that I just haven't gone back to work. It's better for me and my wife. I stay at home. And I, uh, we personally use a 3% safe withdrawal rate rather than a, a 4% safe withdrawal rate because we're a bit conservative and the maths and the evidence suggests that 3% is, is much, much safer than 4%, at least for Europeans compared to the US,
1: and in that case, you're referring to the Trinity study, right? Where four percent gives you something like an eighty-eight percent or ninety percent or whatever uh, chance of succeeding, and three percent essentially a hundred in every possible scenario with all the forecasts.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's right. It's based on US data. The other thing with the study is it's not. It's got a much shorter retirement length than say somebody who's retired very early. Most Safe withdrawal rate studies are around like a 30 or 40 year retirement. Whereas obviously if you're retiring in your 30s, you could be talking about a 50 or, or 60 year retirement. And the reality is there is no maths that looks at, that, <laughs> looks no, at that because we just don't have the data. So it's it's a you are having to take on some of that risk and uncertainty as whether well you can live with that. And at the moment I definitely can.
0: Yeah, well, the maths really, it, it just depends on everyone's situation so much that it really depends on on how you're going to manage it and how you calculate it. Would you mind telling us what, what your job was?
2: Yeah, so I was a chartered accountant. Well, I still am. You're a chartered <laughs> accountant yeah. for life. It's like this <laughs> one of these weird things where like, uh, even when you're 90, they could still like slap you on the wrist if you've mm. done something naughty. So yeah. um it's once an accountant, always an accountant. Mm-hmm. I've worked in the city for a little over five years, mainly as like a forensic accountant. Um, it's, it's really interesting work, but I'm not sure the work was good for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, well, on this episode, what we're really interested in um, talking about, like what we, our main topic for today is what was it like to retire so early at 26? What was it like to be financially independent at 26? And how do you feel comparing yourself to maybe other 26-year-olds? What were the post-feelings of, you know, quitting your job? And we yeah, are just really interested in in what, what your, your thoughts were and what, what you did after quitting your job. Yeah, so um, when
2: I first quit, I wasn't planning to retire, so... I was very conscious that a lot of people, when they when they quit their job, they go through this thing called decompression, where they where they really struggle to adjust. And I had a plan of certain things I wanted to do in the kind of first year that I was going to take off from work. Um, so one was to learn how to ride a bike because I couldn't ride a bike much to um, most people's utter bewilderment.
0: Wow. Well, um, well.
2: And compared to like the the fire movement, who like lots of people seem to be really into biking and stuff, I was like, yeah, I don't know how to ride a bike. So that was the first thing I did. I bought a bike, learned how to ride it, and to be honest, I I never really ride it anymore because it's just I just get so scared on it. I'm You're sure like so people much, are good. Much. I know, but I just could walk everywhere. Um, I get the train in Central London. I could just walk everywhere, and I just walk a lot, so I just, just don't for,
1: need to use it for London purposes. Fair enough. If you ever have the chance, grab a holiday in
2: the Netherlands and go cycling there. Oh, Mrs. Walsh, G would kill me if, like, I start randomly going on a bike and biking off on my own. She'd be like, "No." And um, so, the other two things I did was is wanted to focus on get my health back in order, and finally learning some professional qualifications. So I qualified as a financial planner and an investment manager, which is something I had wanted to do but had always put off because of work. So I had this structure and I went through that and it was I really enjoyed it. I kind of got to the end of it and I was like, well what do I do now? And I thought about going back to work. But Mrs. Wife G was was like, well it's really nice to have a new home. You do all the housework. You basically organise my life you're much happier why go back you know what what are you going to get out of it and then and so it's kind of got two two and a half years now just much happier and mrs wife g is much happier with me being
1: at home and kind of doing my own thing and what do you do from day to day because i can imagine two and a half years how long did those initial plans take and like once they were done, what did you do every day after, you know, getting up at 8 a.m. and having breakfast? Like, how does the day look like right now? So it's a mix. I tend to work about one
2: one or two days a week, depending whether I have much work on. So I, I do some writing. I have an advisory role for a pension scheme, which is which is great, and something I, I really enjoy and want to get more involved in, you know, helping people kind of save and encourage them, to engage with their pensions and providing for their future, uh, it's, it's it's a challenge, but it's it's very fulfilling. And then apart from those kind of things, I have my blog. I go to gym. I do the housework. I often go in to see people once or twice a week in central London for lunch or dinner. And then very quickly your week fills up, and very rarely feel bored. Uh it's, it's unusual for me to have a week where I've got nothing in the calendar. Um, and it, it's, it's funny, like you are fine. I at least have never been one of those types of people who get bored. I always find something to do or something to think about. So in short, the answer to your question is lots of stuff, whatever takes for my fancy, which
1: is very nice. So this is like a portion of it is planned in terms of activities, writing, a little bit of working, but the rest, the, the other portion is also just flexible and, you know, whatever floats your boat and you feel like doing in a week itself.
2: Yeah, that's that's right, Alva. And I think it's important to have some structure because otherwise you could end up just like laying in every day and not having a clue about what you want to do and the days could blur into one. And so having a, some underlying structure, or at least a few things that you always do is is very helpful, at least for me.
0: Yeah. I'm also interested in, in hearing how you... What did like eighteen year old young Phi guy think when well you inherited this money and then you obviously started investing it and and saving and what was like what did you love being an accountant is this what you were uh, this was your your like aim you, you obviously went to university this is this what you were did you purposefully you know choose this route to then save a lot of money and then you know you were like okay I'll know what to do later. What what were you thinking when you got started on you know this path to becoming a chartered accountant?
2: That's a great question, Armin, and it's it's an odd story. So mm-hmm. my father was also an accountant, and he would try periodically when I was like a young teenager to make me. Get into accounting and and show me his spreadsheets to go look how cool this is and oh wow isn't accounting interesting what do you reckon and I was like no accounting is really dull I'm never going to be an accountant so when I was growing up I, I I was I wanted to be an engineer and I did some work in in the local power plant and I realised engineering was really hard work and it was it was tough and I was like okay now nah, I'll pass on the engineering stuff. And so I went and I did maths at university and, and accounting just spoke to me. It seemed like a, a really good career to to, to have because you, you basically, you, you train for three years and then you become, say, chartered and you basically join a cartel, which means that you have a minimum salary you can get for life and you're always going to have a job and you're always going to be paid really well. It's quite stable it's very interesting. So you basically learn how businesses work and you problem solve. And it, it is kind of the ideal job for going for this kind of financial independence thing, because mm. you can kind of bank on a secure salary for life. And it gives you a lot of the, not just the like quantitative skills associated with being an accountant, but lots of the qualitative skills like having temperament and being analytical and thinking through problems that can help you with managing your finances successfully. Mm
0: -hmm. So it was like a mix of salary skills and what appealed to you. That's that's actually, yeah, sounds like the
1: perfect job. Sorry, and also to ask, in terms of salary, what does an accountant in London earn? So I explain it like as in, there's London and then the
2: regions. So the regions is basically anywhere outside London. So when you first start, the salary is around the high 20s to mid 30s in London, and it's probably a few thousand pounds less in the region. When you qualify, so after three years, the minimum salary in London tends to be about 45 to 50,000. You can earn a lot more than that depending on the role you want to take. Uh, In the regions, it's probably a minimum of 35 to 45,000. And it's kind of like that floor is the minimum you could get. So, you know, when you become kind of qualified, it's, it's really bizarre. It's, it's kind of like being like a supermodel in a club. So you come out of your exams and, you know, you you go to the pub. And in the pub, like all these recruitment firms are like milling around, wanted to speak to you to like offer you like jobs and to get your CV with them. Because basically most people qualify as auditors and then they get poached to go into industry to work, you know, in the finance roles or business development roles at, in, in companies. And they often can get a big pay rise and a, a better quality of life doing that. So you kind of come out of these exams and all these like kind of dodgy looking salesmen and recruiters are all like milling around you, wanting to hear your life story and pretending how amazing you are. And it's like, whoa, this is really weird.
1: And also, obviously, given that, you know, you being able to reach this by the age of 26, you had your 100k inheritance, but also getting, you know, the rest of the amount needed to retire. Saving 80% of that in London must have been tough, honestly, because, like, I've looked at London and living costs are insane. Like, it would be pretty hard to save for most people there.
2: Yes, yeah, so it, is, it is very difficult. And living costs, particularly housing, is is. I mean, that's the real drain on people. And I was very lucky in that Mrs. Wife G and I met at university and we've lived together since university. So that halved in effect our living costs. So whereas say someone would be paying out one, you know, a share of the bills and they would have to pay a hundred percent of it because there was two of us sharing, you know, that that huge amount of kind of Housing and living costs that really made a huge difference in being able to save a lot. Um, yeah. And the, the other big way you could do it is by putting a lot into your pension, which I was able to do because I had, you know, the cash available to me to be able to kind of start saving so much so early on. A lot of people have to start building cash up because they leave university with overdrafts or lots of debt. And so because I wasn't in that position, that meant I yeah. could start a lot sooner.
0: Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. And and also what I'm very curious about, because obviously I am 20 here and I'm listening to your journey and you also started very early. So I, I wonder, is there anything that you would have done differently knowing what you know now? Like if you were 20 again and you know what you know now, if you could start again, would you still have gone down the route of university accounting, chartered accountant or would you have done something completely different?
2: Uh, that's, a really, that's a really good question. And it's that's tough to answer. It's tough, I know, I know, I know.
0: <laughs> and in hindsight, and everyone is correct, right? But still, yeah.
2: I think it's interesting. I, I would still have done the same thing, which might seem a little bit weird to listeners. Because obviously, you know, I didn't enjoy my job, but I kind of left. But I actually, I really enjoyed the work and I still do. And I still write about it a lot on my blog and I still talk about it with people. It was very much the, the corporate world that I didn't get on with. And I don't think the corporate world got on with me back. Um, I probably still would have gone to university. And that's probably good, <laughs> good thing to say. Otherwise, I wouldn't have met my wife or so many of my amazing friends. Um, but i think the good thing for lots of people who are thinking about going into say accounting or finance is that you don't actually have to go to university these days to become an accountant there are loads of school leaver and college leaver uh so that's for like 16 and 18 year olds there's lots of those routes available to get into finance now that there wasn't so big when i was there um and those people are, who started on those paths are now either coming up to 30 or just over 30. And they it's really worked out well for them. And they're making partnership, which means they earn an absolute boat ton of money and are basically part owners of the companies they work for.
0: That's interesting. So really what you didn't, like the reason you quit your job is because you didn't like the corporate part, but you enjoyed the activity in itself? Did you ever consider become a self-employed accountant, for example? Um,
2: I have. And from time to time, I've I've kind of dipped my toes into it. But the trouble is, you have to kind of, you need to jump all in to do it because of insurance and liability risks. If you're going to become kind of a, a, a self-employed accountant or to do the kind of work that I was doing, which wasn't really like tax and and personal accounting based it was more like corporate investigations and like matrimonial disputes of when people get divorces like maybe Jeff Bezos would like come to my boss (laughs) and those kind of things they don't tend to lend themselves so easily to like a a 26 year old and the insurance companies aren't so keen on it so well i did the maths on it I would have to basically do it full time to really get it to work and I'm just far too lazy to do that.
1: Good answer and also an observation like would you say that the grind of those five years working as an accountant and the money you got in return for it Was that worded like the grind, the 60 hour work weeks and the bosses who were, you know, driving you nuts? I got quite lucky
2: in that. So the firm I started with, I didn't get on so well with the bosses, but my second job, I on really well with them and I I still speak to them today and they periodically ask me to come back and work for them because they miss me. The thing is, on a purely financial kind of look at it, it probably wasn't worth it because of the the stress and the health issue the health um the impact it has on your health but when i think about how much i've learned and how much i've experienced and understood of the world um just in like those 5 years i think when i think about it in those terms it, it probably it was worth it because you learn i at least feel that i've learned so much about the world that i just did not know as as a 20 year old and I think, in that respect, you know, that's why I would in, I would encourage people to think about accountancy as an as a career because it's not quite as boring as everybody makes out it to be.
0: Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. Actually, would you would you recommend someone else to you know reach financial independence at twenty six? And is this something that you would tell your friends? You know, you should totally do this escape the rat race or, or even a 20 year old would you tell them you know get a high paying job so that you can you know get out early is this something you would recommend to others
2: yeah that's that's a great question and, and the answer the short answer is no because oh, wow! <laughs> <laughs> sorry no it, the short answer is no but the long mm-hmm. answer is it depends why you want that um so I guess from my point of view, I, I come from somewhere where the decision to be financially independent followed an earlier realization of what I wanted in life. So what I wanted in life was to spend, to basically be free to spend time with my family and my friends and to not focus on a career and to have my life defined by my relationships with other people rather than my profession. I think for a lot of people if they haven't, they come across to FI as in a, a escape from work. So as a, from a kind of negative point of view, as in they want to escape something bad rather than move to something good. And I think what you have to do is you need to have a positive reason for want a, a life goal or a positive principle for why you want to, to get to FI and that has to come first.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's, that's, that's very important. Don't like when you want to quit your job, you want it to be from a positive perspective that's that's very important and yeah something we don't really talk about actually and and this is really interesting for me because on my own website on financially mint i i tell other young people you know i personally i believe that first you want to be looking for that thing that fulfills you that you love that's your passion whatever and then think about earning the big bucks later or they'll come later but i i put more emphasis on really looking for that thing and then after that, you know, the the money will come, and a lot of people will disagree with me. And it's true that what I do at the moment is like I keep searching, and then on the side I have like that side hustle, or whatever, to make me a bit of money. But I put more emphasis on looking for that thing that I I love doing. Would you agree with that, or or do you or you think is it it just really depends on the situation?
2: Yeah, I I think that's exactly the right way to think about it. Mm -hmm. It's going to sound really weird coming from an accountant slash financial planner, but I think we talk about money too much. We frame our life decisions around what money we have or what money we need. I think it's much better to start from what you want to get out of life and what you want to be doing and focus on that first and let the money help you to achieve those things rather than let the money define what you can and can't do.
0: That's interesting. So based on what you're saying, then, if you knew what you knew now, and you were 20 years old, maybe you wouldn't have gone to university and, well, yeah, okay, you would have gone to university, obviously, to meet your wife. And <laughs> and then maybe you'd have just dedicated your time to being with friends and family, maybe earned some money in a different way, in a more flexible way. Do you think that would have... Would that have been a possibility?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's that something that I, I would think about because the the other thing in my life is that my mother's disabled. So I spent a lot of my childhood kind of part caring for my mother. And when I was at uni, I would go back pretty much every weekend to help out my mum around the house and do stuff for her. And so for me, I've always kind of grown up firstly like appreciating you know how lucky I am to not have a disability but also just how important it is to be there for family and I felt it like in in my when I was working that I didn't feel like I was there as my family not only physically but kind of emotionally you you end up being so tired that you don't want to really speak or be present and I was like this is not this isn't what I want in life and I want to be there for my family and enjoy their company.
0: Yeah, that's 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 fascinating, and it's in its pure like golden nuggets for us young people. And even Alvar, who's twenty six now, Alvar, are you retiring soon? <laughs> so
1: that's actually the thing I really loved you know, the approach you guys are taking. It sense of, you know, let money please be a tool to get towards our mm-hmm. purposes and actually do what we love. But from my perspective, I'm not like that. In a sense that i completely agree with the philosophy but i grew up not poor not rich but had a couple of experiences with kind of like implemented the scarcity mindset in my mind of like i have to save as much as possible and what you love is all nice and fun but here i can earn 50 an hour so you know screw that i'm just gonna earn money and retire and blah 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 they're like that That feeling, it's something that on Reddit, on financial independence blogs, I'm reading really strongly that it's a really hard thing to beat. And the idea of like, hey, you know, if I just work five years for 70, 80, whatever, an hour, um, I'll be there. And that scarcity mindset feeling and like trying to like beat it and truly like believing in, okay, the most important thing is actually doing what you love. And there's no point doing something you hate just for good money. That's something emotionally so hard. And in one of our episodes, like in the goals episodes, we also really covered that of like, you know, how do you get there? Like me as a 20 year old, I was living on nothing. Me as a 26 year old, I'm a lot better at actually enjoying life and doing what I want instead of just, you know, purely focusing on money. But it's still, it's a hard thing. And it what I find interesting, like from Young Five Guys perspective, like, you know, what happens if you don't have to like go through that and just straight away start off in a good way, and also your own arm meant that it's not just about money, but that you grow up like appreciating other things so much more, and not get trapped in this scarcity mindset feeling. And this all is maybe a little bit of a ramble, but that's kind of my observation <laughs> and feeling around it.
0: Yeah, I think Alvar, your your situation is also very interesting, and it really shows you that it's it's how you grew up. If maybe your parents taught you, you know, that it's okay to, if if your ter- if your parents put more of an emphasis on, you know, do what you love, et cetera, then maybe that's what you will do. But if, if you grew up with that scarcity mindset or constantly, you know, being aware that you don't have enough money or et cetera, then you will always be scared that you won't have enough money. And in that case, we'll probably work hard to make sure you're always, I mean, Barney told us exactly that when we interviewed him, the reason why he was accumulating so much money was because he was scared of being poor. And it was, it was that simple. And it just depends on how you were, you know, brought up your mentality and yeah, it's it's very interesting. I do you think, Mr. Young Fire Guy, that how you grew up, I mean, yeah, obviously it affected you, but do you feel that because of the way you were brought up, this affected you and this brought you like this kind of scarcity mindset at the beginning?
2: Yeah, I mean absolutely. When people kind of talk to me and go, Why why have you done this? Or you know, that's really weird. You know, it's it's a it's much more a psychological or an emotional decision and a financial one but that's in a way how it kind of should be you can't really break down life into a series of numbers on a spreadsheet especially with retiring early you're never going to know for sure whether you've got enough and you see it played out with lots of people who kind of almost retire and then they do the one more year thing they're looking for a certainty in a decision that will you will never know whether you have enough. You only know well when you die, basically. It's you can't be looking for say a a number or a rule or a formula that will tell you how to live your life. It's going to be based on your experiences and your emotions and how you think about things and feel about things.
0: Life, basically.
1: And also to ask because this is obviously this is the philosophy. This this the framework. But in terms of like the, the now, the here and everything, um, do you still have goals in life financially speaking? Like, do you still set those on like a monthly, quarterly, yearly basis? Like, how do you organize that? Yeah, so, so I should
2: make out that I'm like some sort of spreadsheet hater because I'm always like the accountant to be on my case. Um, I love spreadsheets and I have loads of fancy pants ones. But for me, it's it's much more around, you know, controlling my spending now that I'm not earning very much money and I'm more kind of around when I do spend money. Am I spending it on the right things? Am I spending it on the things that bring me joy and happiness in my life? And, and that's for me is the focus. Um, cause a lot of the time I go like the wrong way uh, or I have in the past where I've underspent or I've denied myself things that probably would have brought me happiness
0: and in terms of life goals do you say you have any for the i don't know next 5 years 10 20 cuz you're you're so young still it's it's crazy because well, most of the people that we interview are obviously 35 years plus or okay maybe not Oh, yeah 35 years plus and and they, most of them have families or, or are planning on traveling or this that, and the next thing and you're like a complete different case so i'm really curious as to what really are you you have so many years in front of you now what are you going to do with them?
2: <laughs> so one of them is uh, supporting my wife and and helping her and being there for her and also just being there for my family. So, you know that's my kind of number one goal is to is to really be there and be present for my family and my friends. It's not it's not something that naturally comes easy to me. I'm a bit of an introvert. and I like to kind of hide away a lot of the time, and so it's something I always have to kind of focus on to. To really sh- show my feelings and, and and help out my family and friends when they need it. And in terms of like the more practical life goals, I mean, one of them is to work out what my life goals are. Uh, because Very important. It's really hard. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Still young, yeah, I know. You know.
2: It's weird. Like, I imagine if you ask a fifty-year-old, "Hey, what do you want to get out of life?" They're probably still like, "I don't know." Yeah, um, totally. I think one of them is definitely to help people with their finances and mm. to improve how we feel about money and think about money and you know that's a lot of the reason I write the blog and um, it's part of the reason I do this advisory work for this pension scheme you know I really want to help improve people's lives so I think the the best way or the way I'm best able to
1: do that is by talking about money and investing okay and i found it also really powerful because in essence you know you got the philosophy you got the cash to do whatever you want but you also got so many years ahead of you you can't know and plan it already straight away see what happens have fun and it's gonna work out in the end in a right way and what we also really would love to do for this episode is give you a chance to answer our final questions if you want to of course Which is something we always do in like roughly like the end of every episode. Throw in our three final questions and see what the guest makes of them.
0: Okay. So please tell us where can we find you online, social media, etc.
1: So I have my blog, which is Mm
2: youngfyguy.com. I also am on Twitter, but it's mainly me kind of retweeting or liking (laughs) random stuff that other people have said. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'll get to see some of my idiosyncrasies on there, perhaps more than on the blog.
0: Always
1: nice. Good. Fair enough. I essentially do the same with Twitter. But the second one, what is one research not well-known you would recommend others using? We know you love books and you love analyzing them. What would be the one, like, resource or book you would recommend people? Please read this. It will change your life.
2: That's a really hard question. Yeah, I
1: know.
2: Um, (laughs) So the one book I tend to... Recommend to people is a book called uh, Nonviolent Communication. Ooh. And you now it's nice. It's a really weird title. Um, but it's basically about, it's given to people who, particularly, who struggle with anxiety or, or depression or expressing their feelings. So it's something that I came to through having therapy. And, um, the underlying principle of it is that we uh, we're very bad at expressing what we want and what we actually feel. We tend to actually say stuff which is just which shows our annoyance or displeasure at things, but not actually say what we need and perhaps you kind of could see it in a lot of our political discussions that people are kind of talking past each other because they're not actually expressing the fears or or the stuff that actually scares them and why um and the book is really helpful for me because it, it made me learn about why how i felt and what i really needed in life and how to express that to other people which i wasn't so good at uh, so for it's a it's a great book to kind of help you to understand yourself but it's not like one of those kind of self-help wishy-washy books which it might work with you or it might not it's kind of a, a a way of expressing yourself for life, which I've found life-changing for me.
0: Love that. And I, I love books that are a bit, you know, different or or very se- self-reflective. I don't know why, but I'm going through a phase where I'm just reading these kind of books and it's just like every book I'm reading is like hitting me in a different way and I'm like, oh, discovering something new. So I I love that. I should, I'm adding it to my list. This is powerful. And I'm
1: just actually Googling it on the spot and um, (laughs) going through the overview. And um, I'm absolutely going to add this to my list because books like these, and as you said, you know, like the random self-help books, they're useless up to, you know, after if you read one, you know, the next 20 ones are the exact same. This looks like a really interesting one. Um, Thank you for that. And the last one up to Aaron Menta.
0: Uh, Question number three, what is the number one actionable tip for someone to get started on their path to FI? Uh,
2: So I'd say um, it's starting. And that's going to sound a little bit weird. But the hardest thing to do, at least I think, for investing, saving, in fact, anything in life is actually taking the plunge or just, you know, get on with it. We're brought up in a world that actually makes investing seem really scary. But as I'm sure you know, and as I'm sure lots of listeners know, once you start, it actually isn't that scary or that complicated. It's just been made out like that by the media and by people who don't have your best interests at heart, you know, like uh, the asset managers and the people who work in finance. I totally agree. It's, it's, you can make mistakes. You know, I've made plenty of investing mistakes. Everybody has, but none of them will ever, you know, kill you cripple or cripple you. Yeah. Cripple you for life. Well, except unless you bet like everything on mm. some sort of weird super crypto inverse leveraged ETF or
0: whatever. Oh, options, futures. Yeah.
2: But starting, even if it's, you know, 10 pounds, is it, you could start from 10 pounds investing and saving into a pension or an ISA. And I'm sure that's similar across m- most countries. You don't have to be putting away big sums. And over time, you'll get more confident. And then the more confident you get, the more you're likely to, to save. And it becomes a lifelong habit. And a lot of people never get to the starting point. They try to overthink it or over-rationalize it. Just go.
0: Yeah, I love that, and that's exactly what I say on my uh, on financially mint because I, me and Alvar actually, we both we interviewed some students on the streets like a few months ago, and and I would ask them at the end, you know, do you invest? And they all looked at me like I was the craziest person on earth. Like, were, I don't want to lose all my money. I don't even have any money to get started with investing. And I'm like, oh my god, you you don't know they they no one tells us when we're younger, so it's it's totally understandable that everyone is so confused and scared. And so, our job in, in the financial dependence community is to help these people understand how easy, simple, not complicated, and cheap it is to get started. So, yeah, really agree with you on that.
1: Mr. Young Fai Guy, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I think we've brought some pretty cool wisdom to the listeners and also to ourselves. Books like Nonviolent Communication and your journey. I mean, I've learned something. Thank you for coming on to the show. <laughs> Thank Thank you you very much for having me.
0: Thank you guys for listening to this episode.
1: We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing for your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review.
0: Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence
1: Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you.
0: All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu